You're listening to a message from the church at Rutledge. For more information about TCAR, please visit thechurchatrutledge.org. Like probabilities on this thing. It, it just, it's, an, it's unbelievable. And so when you read it and you think about the historical value of it and and the truthfulness of it, if it's for real and you read that, that love that is too rare, that Savior that is too radical is what we see in Jesus who came to be a ransom for many as we will see in today's text. We're going to look at Mark 10. 32 through 45. Um, I'm going to pray real quick as we turn there in that and and just look at a couple points. Father, thank you for your word and and how wonderful it is. I just ask you to speak this morning and just help me with uh, teaching truth. Uh, Father, would you open the minds of those here to understand your word by your Holy Spirit and just help us uh, as we go through this season to to come to truth and live by that truth so that we can have hope that goes beyond understanding, peace that goes beyond understanding, so far beyond our circumstances, knowing that eternity is what it's all about with you. And so, Father, thank you for your son, Jesus. pray all this in his name. Amen. So Mark 10, I'm going to start in verse 32, and we'll finish chapter 10 today, being 11 next Sunday. Excuse me. It says, starting verse 32, they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. Last, This is the last movement, per se, of Jesus. <clears throat> to Jerus- Headed to Jerusalem where he will be crucified. He, he crossed, remember he came down, crossed over the Jordan into the area of Perea, <clears throat> as we saw last week. Now he's going back across the Jordan in the area of Jericho, which will be mentioned. <clears throat> and from there, it's a 15-mile journey up to hiking up to Jerusalem. And I say up to Jerusalem because it's a elevation change. He's going up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem's like 2,500 feet above sea level. They are currently where they're at, about 1,290 Um <clears throat> So they're, they're going up quite a distance in 15 miles. They're going up a, um, a good distance. Jerusalem, however, referred to in the Bible, and as you hear people speak, um, the Jewish culture speak about Jerusalem, <coughs> other groups, Jerusalem is always up from anywhere else around it because it's kind of like this up and this, this area that's raised above anything around it. There's valleys around it. So when you talk about and hear the Bible say we're going up to Jerusalem, it's because the Bible does not always, unless it says north, south, east, west, we're headed that direction. Whenever you see it, anytime it refers to Jerusalem, it's going to say they're going up. Or if they're going up on the mountain, they came down the mountain. Like, don't think of directions all the time in the Bible as far as north, south, east, and west, because they are not... Um, below per se, kind of, but they're they're not necessarily below and headed north, going up to Jerusalem. It's just that it's a change in elevation. <clears throat> Everything else, you know, if it doesn't say north, south, southeast, west, it's down 
up over, okay? And Jerusalem, because of its importance, is always referred to as going up, okay? As, as you were walking in those days, um, you would always say up. A pilgrimage to Jerusalem is always referred to as up, uh, going up to Jerusalem. So kind of like saying, um, let's go up to church and worship. Because it's, it's, it's going, coming together to worship is of importance, and so it's a step up. Like people who, um, <clears throat> there's a word for it, I think it's aliyah, is the word for when someone moves to Jerusalem, they're, they'll say they're, they're aliyah, they're moving up. They're, no matter where they live in the world, no matter how big a house they have, to move to Jerusalem from a spiritual context is always a step up. Okay, that's just the significance that it brings. And so different ways it's referred to as up. Okay, so that's just a little cultural lesson, a little direction lesson. That So they're going up to Jerusalem. So don't let that confuse you when you're reading the Bible. The Bible contradicts itself because they're not going up. They're going south or they're going west or, you know, okay. Don't let that confuse you. And Jesus is, goes on it says, they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. <clears throat> and Jesus was walking on ahead of them. And they were amazed and those who followed were fearful. And the disciples are amazed, <clears throat> but those that followed were fearful. It, it differentiates there. Disciples were amazed knowing what they had heard, what they had seen, knowing Jesus was going to Jerusalem to die, even though they're not really fully understanding all that, as we'll see. Um, they just don't really get it, okay? But they're amazed at his, at his resolve to do what he's doing, and yet others following were fearful. We're fearful. You get that, right? They're they're thinking this guy's going to go to Jerusalem. He's already had all this trouble with the Pharisees, the scribes. If he goes to Jerusalem, he's just going into the lion's den. I mean, as far as where his situation is, because that that'd be real trouble, given the the context of you know the the Jewish leaders and the the Roman Empire. He's just going into the just not a place that seems like he'd want to go, but his disciples are amazed at his resolve to go there. <clears throat> Luke says in 951 that Jesus, was, it talks about his determination to go to Jerusalem. The literal translation says it, he set his face toward Jerusalem. Um, King James Version says set his face like a flint to Jerusalem. Okay? And so here's the third time Jesus will tell the twelve, and and they are they're amazed that he is so intent, given what he's saying, right? Even though they're not even fully getting it. And so it says, and again he took the twelve aside. Okay, there's a there's a lot going on here because they're headed to Jerusalem. Yeah, there's other people that have kind of gathered and following around because it's Jesus, miracles, all these things are happening. But you got to realize the time of year it is too. The Passover is getting ready to happen. Remember, there's the the there's three mandatory festivals: um, Feast of Tabernacles, three mandatory feasts: Feast of the Tabernacles, um, Passover, and Pentecost. Those three things were mandatory. So everybody, there's all these people headed to Jerusalem on the road, and so it's a very crowded time. And so there's all these people going. So they're not the only ones on the road in addition to what's going on. So it says he took them aside, the twelve aside, um, to talk to them specifically and, and began to tell them what was going to happen to him, saying, Behold, 
we're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit on him and scourge him and kill him, and three days later, he will rise again. <coughs> very detailed, okay, very detailed account that he's giving before all this will happen. And especially that last part about rising again goes just goes over their heads. The resurrection from the dead part, all of it really, because they think the kingdom's coming in a different way, that it's going to be a political kingdom, not the kind of kingdom Jesus is talking about, God's kingdom. They just didn't get what all this meant and didn't believe it would really happen this way. And later on in other Gospels, it'll actually talk about it. And says they didn't remember what he said. And after the resurrection, there's a point that it, the scripture says, and Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures, what he had been talking about, and, and that he was the Messiah and the prophecies, so that they could go, oh, they could connect the two together. Because they just didn't get it. Okay? And it's, it, it's funny and a little bit annoying to me um, when you think, you know, these, there's these shows that come on this time of year, right, that we won't name certain channels, but they like to put out these shows about new facts that we've discovered about the life of Jesus. And and so they put these shows out there that, that kind of go one of two ways. And it's nothing new. It's just the same lies, just repackaged in a new program, right? And so new facts about Jesus we've uncovered. And one way they explain it is Jesus is kind of this passive, just good teacher. Man, he just loved people. He he was just like just this guy in sandals, just going around peace, love, happiness, just kind of naive, right? He just kind of didn't get what was going on in in the whole Roman machinery, political deal, and but he was just this love, peace, happiness guy, and he tried to like do what you know, start this little deal, and he just got. He just was ignorant to the fact and got caught up in the Roman machinery and and got himself killed because he just didn't really understand what was going on in the world today. But he was full of love and peace and joy for everybody. But you know, it just that just didn't work in the culture they were in that day. Or they paint him as this like diehard revolutionary, and he's starting this coup and going to overthrow, and he just and and. He's just the victim of his own doing. He thought he could overthrow everything, and he really couldn't, and they killed him. That's kind of the two ways they go. But neither of those are even a possibility. I mean, when you look at Scripture, when you look at Old Testament prophecy, when you look at the, the history records, when you look at the way he talked about, as we look at this as a historical document, this Bible and then some, that, that neither of those were a possibility because he tells the disciples more than once <clears throat> he is going to do this and exactly how it will happen. Okay? In one account, Jesus actually says, they're going to crucify me. He names the way they're going to kill him. The exact manner how all this is going to happen. It, it was a planned event by the Trinity, by Jesus, 
Not, it wasn't a, well, hoops, that, that wasn't meant to happen, but hey, we'll just go with it, right? <clears throat> Revelation tells us he's the lamb slain before the foundations of the earth. God's plan before the world was made. God sent his son into the world just for this reason. And when you read scripture, there's nothing else you can get. You, it takes a big twist to get those other two philosophies out of it. You just have to kind of make up some stuff that doesn't match history and what Jesus said and what the Bible says. So this Christmas, as you open gifts, remember God thought of you before the creation of the world and knew your greatest need and gave you the gift of eternal life. You just have to receive it. And before this next part, just remember what we're coming out of too. Peter, James, and John have just been up on top of the mountain in transfiguration, right? So the, so the two brothers, James and John, come to Jesus to ask him something, okay? So they, they get ahead of Peter here. They're like, hey, hey, brother, we need to do something to make sure we got this wrapped up. And so this next section of Scripture is interesting. <clears throat> And, uh, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> so here they are. It says in verse 35 James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Isn't that nice? And we laugh, right? Not in those words, but how often have we approached God? And kind of done the same thing, right? God, I need you to do this for me without, don't please don't deny me without asking any questions. I just want this, right? And we may not even say it out loud, but in our hearts and our minds, we're thinking, I just need God to give me this without arguing with me, without causing me any problems, without, God, will you just give me what I want, right? Will you just do what I want without giving me any trouble over it? Right? And it sounds funny when we read it. <clears throat> but we do that. So don't be too hard on these guys. It is funny. I, like I, sometimes I, I picture, because I know how, you know, you read God's character and those things. I, you know, sometimes I go, I wonder if he gets aggravated or wonder if God does the same thing when I come to him and go, God, I just really need you to do this without, he probably chuckles a little bit, right? says in verse 36 and he said to them what do you want me to do for you they said to him grant that we may sit one on your right one on your left the right was the really important one one you know if you read scripture the right hand is always the the more prominent post of authority and second guy right <clears throat> one on your right, one on your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. This is one of those moments of zeal without knowledge, right? Like most preachers, not always right, but never in doubt, right? They just, they're just confident. Yeah, we can do that. It's like whatever it takes to be there, you know, I'll do that. 
And Jesus said to them, The cup I drink, you shall drink, and you shall be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. But to sit on my right or my left, this is not mine to give, but it is for those whom it has been prepared. That plan from the foundations of the earth, all this has been planned. There's a divine providential will of God that's just going to happen and there's nothing anybody can do about it. It's his desire and it's, that's the way it's going to be. You know, I've, I often talk about there's God's providential will, there's God's moral will for our lives, and somewhere in, in those boundaries, you'll find God's personal will for your life. It's going to fall within his providential will and his moral will for your life. Okay, If you're doing something outside God's moral will, you're probably going to miss his personal will for your his the personal will for your life. You know, as you ask God, what do you want me to do with my life? What do you want me to do with this? Who should I marry? All if you're outside the moral will, if you or if you know this is how things are going to go providentially in the Bible, if you're outside of that, okay, you're not going to hit that personal will for your life. A lot of people. I did a post from Gospel Coalition this past week. Uh, in my Facebook about or Twitter, I can't remember about how we often desire to know God's will for the future and what He has for our lives without living currently in what we know is His will for our lives. We're all about God, where are you taking me? And we live as though not, you know none of His moral providential will exists. So we're just waiting on the future to come. As though we can't live in His will now, we're waiting to do that. Like, what is that? Okay. Now, the the to drink the cup that I drink means it it means to endure the full experience of what He's going to experience. Okay. But you know they didn't get it because He He just said He's going to be killed. Okay. So they're not fully getting this. The baptism Jesus was baptized with, it automatically made me think. Okay, what? Well, when you get literally, okay, if we go Jesus' baptism by John the Baptist, what did John the Baptist declare as he saw Jesus coming to be baptized? Okay, Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world, right? See, I mean, you can. there's different connotations to what it means by baptism, basically saying how I'm going to endure, what I'm going to sacrifice, what I'm going to go through is what he's saying, but however you want to take that, and, and how, how does he do that? Take away the sins of the world by taking all of our sin and paying for it. So can you be baptized with that baptism? No one can, but Jesus can. It's why we do it with water symbolically to represent what Jesus did for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. Okay? We do it symbolically after we are saved, not literally. Only Jesus can pay for our sins. It's nothing we can do but he says that he follows that with a can you do this and they're like we think we can he says okay then you'll endure he says you'll drink the cup and be baptized that way and in, the, in that these guys both are going to die some horrible deaths okay one is killed for his faith the first martyr of the church James had his head cut off, or Herod, Herod cut James' head off, right? And then the other is exiled, okay? To be alone until death. 
They enter into suffering for their faith in Jesus as his witnesses. Now, following Jesus, which connotates for us the understanding, is, is not an easy road. It's not the name it, claim it, you know, blab it, grab it, however you want to say it. It's not the, the prosperity gospel. If you just have enough faith, you'll be healthy, wealthy. Um, all those things, that, you know, and which we could get into a whole discussion about what they thought in the New Testament, the Old Testament, and what was taught there, and what this understanding of some passages, even in Deuteronomy, about those who were wealthy were considered to be righteous people because God was blessing them, and so they just put the two together, and it's been a thought for a long time, but it so goes against Scripture because as we see the early church and these guys, even Jesus Himself, explain that to to them. You think. The disciples had faith. You think Jesus himself? I mean, here's Jesus himself. He did not have an easy life, and we're supposed to follow him. Pick up your cross, deny yourself, and pick up your cross and follow him. Following Jesus is not an easy road. It's a spiritual war that you enter into that often has other implications, which can be physically, emotionally, mentally, economically, socially, etc., it affects your life. And you're like, well, you're trying to talk me out of this, okay? But I'm telling you the joy, the hope that you have in situations like I talked about earlier, in the moments of loss, you won't get that anywhere else. If there is nothing else, you, you just, what do you do? not saying that's the only reason to do it, but eternity is what matters. There is a reality to what is taught in Scripture. If it's true, then there's a reality to what's taught there that, that we have to understand the time period we're in and living on this earth as His witnesses is just not going to be easy. But there's joy, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness self-control, those fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit that Jesus gives us for now through the Holy Spirit is what we really all long for in this time. Money can't buy that. A new car, a better house, whatever it is, you go to God and ask, hey, whatever I ask you for, will you just give to me? None of that stuff's going to give that to you because that's going to be gone eventually. It's just going to be gone. Right? The next, you can get a new car. Eventually, it's an old car. Get a new house. Eventually, it's an old house. It's not new enough. Not big big enough. Not shiny enough. That laptop don't operate as fast as a new one would. It's a decaying, dying world we live in. Just look in the mirror, and you'll get that. Just every year, take note. Right? We have to have Jesus knowing that eternity what it's, is what it's really all about. It's not going to be easy. We're not promised easy here. We're promised a, something much greater than here. Verse 41, hearing this, the ten began to feel indignant with James and John. Can you imagine? They're like, they beat us to the punch. Like they're trying to set themselves up over everybody else. 
Calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. Listen to what he says, okay? But it is not this way among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. In the world we live in, there's a pyramid, right? And the guy on the top of the pyramid is the one with the most privileges, right? Everybody underneath works and serves because he makes the most money, he gets the best office, he gets the best parking space. That's the way the world works, right? Most recognition, whatever it is. But Jesus turns that pyramid upside down. And that's God's kingdom. Paul's teaching on spiritual gifts and the body of Christ. It says this. We covered this during the series we did on spiritual gifts, right? 1 Corinthians 12, 22-26 says, On the contrary... It is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on those we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable. You see how he flips all this upside down? Whereas our more uh, presentable Members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. There's a guy named R.C. Linsky. New Testament commentator talks about the, the this pyramid and says this. Great men don't sit on top of lesser men. Great men bear lesser men on their backs. Isn't that awesome? That's what Jesus does for us. Servant and slave. Jesus came to serve and give himself a ransom for you. What should we do then? If, if you have received that gift of eternal life, of salvation, then you are the personal property of Jesus. We are his servant. We are his slave. That's what those verses say. Do we, do we behave that way? Is that our attitude toward things? Whatever I got to do, Jesus, to serve you. What are you doing in the world today, Jesus? On this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. He's building his church with stewards of the gospel to, to take this message of what Jesus did for us to, to every corner of the earth as far as we can to our communities. And as far as it, wherever we're led for the glory of God, right? So it's not about me. It's not about whether my feelings get hurt or I get it my way or whatever it is. 
God, what serves you? Jesus, you're leading this deal. We're following you. So whatever I need to do, right? There's times where we're going to be sick. We're going to be up at 3 a.m. We're going to be doing, it, it takes effort. It's hard. But God, whatever serves you and your kingdom, that's what I'm in for. And you will give me strength to the end. So however I can encourage people, encourage people, especially the body of Christ. And God, you've called me to this role and to be here for this reason. And so that's what's what that's just what I'm going to do. And sometimes it's just not easy. Servant and slave. <clears throat> that should be our title, right? That's why I'm not pastor, reverend, or as one sign I saw Nashville said, the very reverend, right? The very reverend. I'm not even very reverend, okay? Father, Bishop, Shelton, is that? Somebody used to call me Padre, okay? Maybe that was more derogatory, I don't know. Um. I think slave of Jesus Christ is better. Or just Marty. I just, I'm just Marty. It's like, it's like you. We're all serving. We're all serving Jesus. All slaves of Jesus. Performing our role that we're called to in the body of Christ. So I, I applaud these guys for their zeal. But they're their intentions are incorrect, right? And don't we easily get that sometimes? We think, how does this serve me and make me look good and buy me some credit with God and all these things we think, right? When our intentions should be, God, I'm just your servant. I'm just whatever you need from me. Let me read the last part of this chapter just for for emphasis, okay, right here. This this won't, won't take long. Mark 10, 46-52, just another little story that emphasizes something. Okay, that, Then they came to Jericho, and he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus. And we don't really know his name. You're like, what do you mean? It just says he's named Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus, bar just means son, Timaeus, son of Timaeus, which it explains right after that, which is Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, okay? We don't really know what his name was unless he was possibly, they didn't do that in that culture. I know in Latin cultures, like if Tony has a, Anthony Day over here has a son named Anthony, right? So um, so in, in Latin cultures, it would be your Tony and, and his son could be Tonito. They put a little ito on the end in Latin cultures to mean little Tony, right? Carlos, be Carlitos, right? Carlito. They just add the ito on the end, which would be weird with mine, Marquito. That just doesn't roll off the tongue, right? I'm sure Cole would love to be called that. Anyway, so that's just all, that's what this means in here is just he's the son of Bartimaeus, okay? We don't know his name, okay? Son of Timaeus was sitting by the road. When he heard that it was, or it could be Bartoni, so it'd be him. Okay, sorry, mine's everywhere. When he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, "Now this is important. 
really important. He began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many were sternly telling him to be quiet, telling him to shut up. But he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him here. Could you imagine Jesus looking at you and going, quit telling him to shut up and tell him to come over here, right? Oops. So they called the blind man, saying to him, take courage, stand up. He is calling for you. He's calling for you. Throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And answering him, Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? Well, that's different than what happened a minute ago. Do whatever we want, would you? Here's Jesus saying, and, and, and there's, a, there's a difference because of how he addresses him, I believe, because of his intent and what he sees in Jesus versus what we've seen other people see in Jesus in, throughout this book of Mark. And answering him, Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, and this word's important too, Rabbani, okay? Some people pronounce it Rabboni, okay? I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and began following him on the road. The man lacks the capacity of physical eyesight. You with me? But yet he saw better than anyone else in that crowd. Right? He calls Jesus son of David, which is a messianic term. It's just an important term. It was a messianic title restricted to the one who fulfills prophecies of the Old Testament. The rich young ruler Tony talked about a couple weeks ago, right? Turned down Jesus and walked away. What did he call Jesus? Good teacher. He didn't call him son of David. He didn't call him Rabbi, right? He said, hey, good teacher. What good thing must I do? What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Nobody's good. You can't. This guy addresses Jesus differently. This man, Bartimaeus, says to him, Son of David, the Jewish Messiah, the one sent to take away the sins of the world. Right? He, he gets it. Just in the way he refers to him. Helen Keller said, it's better to be blind than to have two good eyes and with your heart see nothing at all. This guy saw in his heart who Jesus was, that it was for real. And Jesus even asked, what do you want me to do for you? Why is that necessary? Like, the guy's blind, right? He's blind. And just called Jesus the son of David. What, what do you think he wants? I know you're the Messiah. What do you think he wants? There's a principle here taught in Scripture. God wants us to be specific in what we ask. Okay? Not just bless me in general today, Jesus, as I go about my life. Thank you. Amen. And walk out the door. Right? Which we do a lot, right? That's like pseudo-relationship. God wants us to sit down and talk about details. To have that daily prayer time where we ask, almost said specifically, specifically, right? <clears throat> we have not because we ask not, is what Scripture says. 
specific requests bring specific answers that turn into specific praises. And Jesus loves that. Notice he calls him rabbinai. Not just rabbi, which means master or teacher. Rabbinai means my master, my personal rabbi, my personal teacher. Right? His faith made him well, his faith in Jesus as his personal healer, redeemer. And he was healed and could see, and he followed, it says, and he followed Jesus on the road, okay? Literally followed him. And then, what did he see? Isn't it, cra- isn't it amazing that this guy and who he knew, knowing who Jesus was, he gets healed and blind, probably from birth, you know? Around Jericho for a reason. There's a whole deal about that and a plant that grew around Jericho in that region because kids could be born with this thing they got in the womb that have pus in their eyes when they were born and it would cause them to be blind. And and there's this plant that grew that was thought to be able to restore blindness that grew around Jericho. So there's all this stuff, there's all this stuff that goes on about that and why this guy was probably there, right? But what does he get to see from he gets his sight and the first thing he gets to see is Jesus but then what does he watch he watches follows Jesus and he watches him go to Jerusalem and they say son of David Hosanna in the highest right they praise him coming in recognizing who he is in Jerusalem as he enters but then what do they watch what's he watch he watches Jesus crucifixion hung on the cross. He watches him rise from the dead. But but the first thing he saw physically was Jesus. Easy parallel for us here today, I hope. Unless you see Jesus, you really are blind. And that's not meant to be an insult. I'm not trying to be derogatory or belittling. But Scripture says that the little G God of this world has blinded, talking about Satan, talking about the devil, the little G God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. Can't understand who Jesus really is. Don't see it. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, who was sent by the Father according to His plan before the foundations of the world. Sent for you. And so maybe today is a day where you're walking along and you see Jesus and understand who He really is. That He has opened your mind, opened your heart to understand this is who Jesus really is. So you just, what it is, is is you've been going along in your life, living your way, slave to sin, really, your own flesh, and you're just turning from yourself in your flesh, and you see Jesus as the one who can make a difference in eternity, that can give you a hope beyond this world, that can save you from your sin, give you forgiveness, give you eternal life, put the Holy Spirit in you, that you can live with hope and be His witness here on this earth and have joy and peace and all those things, fruit of the Spirit. Jesus turned. That's what that's that big word repent in church is just returning from yourself and your sin 
and you're turning to Jesus and saying, I believe you are the son of David. You are the Messiah. You're the one that came that was meant to, to die for us, lamb slain before the foundations of the world for our sins. And today may very well be the day you see Jesus for the first time, really. And so I hope it's that way for you. And so you just you can just, while I'm finishing out this thing, you just have that conversation with Jesus and just pray and just give yourself to Him. As I'm your servant. I want to be your slave. I want to follow you, be your witness, because I know your love is, is just crazy for me. And just I, it's just amazing what you're going to do with my life and that I get to spend eternity with you. Just say, best I know how, God, I'm giving myself to you, that on the cross, in my place, for my sin, that I could have this new life. And so for the rest of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, believers in Jesus, if you see, then you follow, right? And if you see, then he says there's, there's specific things that you need to be asking for. And that relationship with him and understanding what we're here for, what he came for, and what we're here for should have some impact on what we specifically ask for, right? So you have a time of prayer each day where you get alone in a quiet place and just talk to him. He longs for that more than you know. And for it to be intimate, to talk about specific things, not just, hey God, have a great day, bless me day, see ya. And you need that more than you know. And so let's pray. Father, we love you. We're just so thankful for your plan from the foundation of the work. Before the earth was created, you had a plan. We thank you that you've opened our minds to understand who you are. May we follow as your servants and your slaves to do your will here on this earth at this time. May we not lord it over people, whatever position or place we find ourselves in, but serve people with the gospel, Father. Help us not to neglect our relationship with you, but make time to sit down and, and ask to develop our relationship with you. Specifically ask so we see those specific answers and then we can turn that into specific praise for all the ways that you are good. And that just causes us, Father, we're thankful you use that to help us grow in our faith and our love for you. Through those moments, may we, may we that turn into to just specific praise that you love and that causes us to grow. Thank you for your plan, for sending Jesus. So we just pray all of this in his name. Amen.